الجزيرة بودكاست Madam Humaid is a reporter for Al Jazeera in Gaza. She was born and raised there. Her seven-year-old daughter, too. But if you ask her where her home is, Gaza's not what she would say. Instead, she talks fondly about a city about 50 kilometers north. It's called Ashdod. And actually, of the stories we heard from our grandfathers was how they were living in calmness and prosperity. But Madam has never stepped foot in Ashdod. Her family lost their home there in 1948, as the state of Israel was created. War broke out between Palestinian Arabs and armed Zionist groups. From 47 to 1949, Zionist forces destroyed more than 78% of historic Palestine. More than 530 main Palestinian villages were destroyed by Jewish paramilitary forces. Entire populations were driven out of their homes. The establishment of the State of Israel displaced an estimated 750,000 Palestinians. In Arabic, people call it al-Nakba, which means the catastrophe. So Madam's family, like many others, became refugees in Gaza. But in the decades since, that refuge has turned into a place of misery. Two million Palestinians live in what has been described as the world's largest open-air prison. So, 75 years after the first Nakba, is a new generation facing another catastrophe in Gaza? I'm Malika Pilal, and this is The Take. So, madam, we're marking 75 years since the Nakba when hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were forcefully expelled from their homeland during the events surrounding the establishment of the State of Israel. Your family lost their home during this period. What did you grow up hearing about the Nakba? Yeah, actually, the Nakba is one of the major events that we have been raised marking every year since we were children in the schools and have these celebrations and these, you know, demonstrations across the Gaza Strip. It's uh, a special and a memorable day for the Palestinians, especially the refugees. Uh, refugees' uh, percentage in the Gaza Strip uh, stands at uh, seven, uh, 70 percentage of the population here. For myself, like, I do remember my grandfather who was, you know, talking about our original village that they were kicked out from in 1948. They were practicing farming and they have uh, good living conditions comparing to what happened, you know. The port city of Jaffa was once described as the heart of Palestine. It was the main trading and commercial center and a hub for Palestinian art, theater, and cinema. They were uh, moving easily between the villages from Jaffa to Haifa to to Esdu, to Barbara, to other Palestinian villages without any restrictions and without being, you know, stuck in your area. And how the life was simple and was open for all the people living there. So there's a story popular in your family about what happened when he had to flee 
and he had his two daughters on his shoulders. What was that like? What did they go through? After the Nakba, when they kicked out from their lands, when they heard about uh, the Israeli gangs attacking, you know, the the villages, uh, he told us that he was seeing uh, his relatives, his neighbors were leaving the village. So he packed his, you know, belongings and he told my grandma to prepare herself uh, to leave. And at the time, they were having only two of my aunties. They were under three years old, and so they were just, you know, kids. So he had to put both of my aunties on on his shoulders, one on the right and one on the left. So he recounted that Israeli gangs were firing rockets uh, or missiles, bombs, uh, sounds of bullets were heard. Palestine is rocked by full-scale war, and both sides mobilize. Haganah forces seek out every Arab. Arab captives are held for evacuation to Acre. Women flee with what belongings they can carry. So my aunties were just married children. They were peeing on his shoulder. He didn't have a chance to stop. He was just running, running, allowing them to do anything. I can't forget this, you know, story because maybe when we were children, we were laughing at the story and we were like, oh, oh my God, this, you know, this, this is very funny or something like this. But when I grow up, I realized how it was difficult for them, how it was, you know, the amount of fear, the amount of terror. They were just fleeing and running for three continuous days until they arrived in Gaza and, you know, started the life of, of being refugees. They were not expecting to go that long, you know. They were just, you know, thinking that they would be back after two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, at the maximum. But they ended up like, you know, establishing a new life in the Gaza Strip and just calling for the right of return until they died. So, Madam, you were born and raised in a refugee camp in Gaza, and you've been covering the region as a journalist for several years. You've said that the economic and living conditions are creating a new Nakba for the younger generations of Palestinians. What is happening in Gaza that makes you describe it like that? What is happening in Gaza from 2007, we have the blockade that is imposed on the people and it's an ongoing blockade for 16 years and experiencing that every day. Israel has imposed a full siege on the enclave. It strictly controls everyone and everything going in or out. Living under the Israeli blockade will create a new Nakba for us. The new Nakba experienced by the new generation in the Gaza Strip is about, you know, being deprived of the future. Our grandparents were deprived of their past, of their, you know, original lands, of their rights and their lands. And, you know, new generations of people born and raised under the blockade, we are deprived of building our future and planning for our dreams. So the new Nakba is to be under the blockade, to be banned of the travel movement, the lack of opportunities and the high rates of unemployment. Economists estimate that almost half its population is unemployed. With youth unemployment at 70%, the situation for the young is desperate. 
and to live this you know nightmare without being able to change anything around you it's not in the hands of people people are just living as hostages it needs a political solution if the first nakba took away the land of palestinians what do you think this new nakba is taking away it steals the future uh it steals the dreams of palestinian uh, generations it steals the ambitions of people uh, it steals the uh, determination of the young generation and their ability to continue uh, their lives and also their faith so we're talking to you on the same day that gaza was hit by israeli airstrikes Israel continuing to launch airstrikes on Gaza. Palestinian media say most of the victims are women and children. And this follows another escalation in violence between Israel and Hamas the week before over the death of Palestinian prisoner Khazar Adnan in Israeli military custody. Are people bracing themselves for more fighting right now? You know, this is how the life exactly looks like in Gaza. This is our situation. Like every week, every two weeks, we have an escalation in Gaza. We have an attack. We woke up to something unplanned or unexpected. I can't plan for anything. I can't uh, organize my life the way I want, how I want uh, my life uh, to, to look like. I can't. After the break how the new Nakba generation sees the future very differently from the older generation of survivors. On the Inside Story podcast this week, as new restrictions come into force in the US, how different are the policies of Donald Trump and Joe Biden on immigration? Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, madam, ahead of this anniversary, you interviewed Palestinians in Gaza who lived through the Nakba in 1948. For the elderly, they wait this day to recount and to recall back the good memories and the heydays of their, you know, of their life before. They just feel uh, it's a space for them to express themselves and they still stick to, uh, to their right of return. And they are still dreaming of going back to visit their homes that they were kicked out of from. This time it was my first time to hear the opinion of those elderlies about how they feel about their grandchildren who are suffering in Gaza and how they compare the life of people before Nakba with the life of people after Nakba and the new generation. And surprisingly, all those elderlies were feeling sad about the future of their grandchildren. And as if to illustrate just how uncertain things can be in Gaza, the electricity suddenly caught out in the middle of our conversation. Most of them are just planning to leave and to seek a life after, to seek a life. Okay, the power cut. Okay, a power cut, no problem. Do, do, power, do power cuts happen often, madam? Yeah, often, very often. <laughs> it's very notable. While Al Jazeera's office generator kicked in right away, Gazans at home are used to waiting hours for services. This constant struggle for basic survival has divided some families. Madam spoke to a grandfather and his grandson about how they see their future in Gaza. 
The grandfather was trying to convince his son with the value to stick to your homeland and to stick to your city and to build your future here and not to, to leave your country. The, his talk was based on his painful experience of being kicked out from the original homeland. But at the same time, the grandson was responding that I'm living here as a prisoner. I can't live my life. I can't build my future. If you knock the door in every family in Gaza, you could see three to four graduates in Gaza who are jobless and they are just, you know, living in misery because of the situation. So the grandson was insisting on immigration and leaving Gaza and leaving the homeland and the grandfather was trying to convince him to stay. I could see both of them right, but this is Nakba and this is Nakba. This is the first Nakba and this is the second Nakba. And those are problems that we have to face. Like when our grandparents were attacked in their homelands, they were forced to flee their lands. And also when you are attacked inside your land and when you are besieged by all sorts of things that force you to leave, Does it feel like the first Nakba never ended or that you were living through a second one? It's a prolonged one, actually. It's a a, a Nakba with uh, a new face, with a new policy. And this maybe would force people to just escape. Like we have many uh, of the generations of the youths in Gaza who are trying to escape, you know, from Gaza, even in illegal ways. According to the United Nations, more than 2,700 Palestinians arrived in Greece by sea in 2022 alone. This makes up 22% of all boat arrivals. It is the highest of any national group. They are well educated, they finish their education in Gaza, they are, you know, they holding certificates. And they didn't have uh, like a job or an opportunity. And this is what Israeli authorities are doing for Palestinians, uh, forcing them to, to lose hope in the Palestinian issues. It should be a national you know, duty for everyone to believe in. So many Palestinians are just abandoning, you know, being in Palestine and being in the Gaza Strip and they fed up with the situation so they are escaping right they are looking and immigrating from the gaza strip and this is one of the worst results uh you know happened after the blockade on gaza madam we know that israel has banned schools from teaching the history of the nakba and threatened organizations who mark may 15th as a day of mourning And even the Palestinian Authority has been criticized for downplaying the Nakba in school curriculums. So how aware are the younger generations about what happened? And how are you teaching your own daughter about the Nakba? Actually, it's not about uh, the curriculum. We don't need someone to teach us the impact of the Nakba and the history of Nakba. Uh, As I told you, it's like a heritage. Like I told uh, the same story to my to my daughter, she is now seven years old, and and now she knows what happened at that year, and she she always like you know posing and asking me what happened to her village. In the schools, we were celebrating not by uh, you know by the box and by by the curriculum, 
it, it was just, you know, the teachers were telling us to come on that day prepared with the information about our original lands and our original villages and to write and to draw banners, uh, reading the name of our lands in order to mark the day. And this happened through the, uh, the long years of education in primary schools and preparatory schools. You mentioned that Ashdod is only a couple of hours away from Gaza. Have you ever been? No, actually, I saw just a glimpse of uh, a sign. I had the chance to travel to Qatar two years ago uh, through the Erezik crossing. The Erezik crossing is controlled by Israeli military, so I got the permit at the time. The journey in order to arrive, I had to pass through the historical lands of Palestine. I had to see the, the lands that our grandparents were cooked out from. So I stick next to the window in the bus and trying to like to focus as much as I can in order like to see the land of my uh, grandparents. And I was, you know, just reading the signs. So through those two hours of, of passing through the original lands, it's a chance for me to seize those. So I just, you know, saw the, a sign there, yeah. uh, you know, that was written Ashdod, and I just took um, a shaky photo of uh, mm. uh, <laughs> of that moment, and my my eyes were not staring in the in the phone; they was just focusing on the Palestinian lands around me. It was for me a chance that I can't; it it won't be repeated, you know, easily for me. Do you think that the world is aware of the new Nakba, as you've called it, in Gaza? I'm not sure, actually, if they are aware. That's why, for myself as a journalist, I try my best uh, to focus on the new Nakba because it's not uh, seen by the outside world. They don't focus or watch what is going on in Gaza, except there is an escalation, there is a military attack, there is a bombing, or there is a story like this, but they are not focusing on the daily suffering of the people created by the blockade and how this blockade impacted the life of many people who are born and raised under that uh, blockade. There is an ongoing Nakba in Gaza, and if there is nothing happening in Gaza, that means uh, not people are enjoying their life. No, they are they are living a daily war, a daily war of fighting with the conditions, the un, the unbeatable and the exceptional conditions brought out by the blockade imposed on Gaza. And that's the take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn with Khaled Sultan, Chloe K. Lee, Nagin Oliai, Amy Walters, Ashish Mahotra, Sonia Bagant, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Munira Al-Dusari and Adama Bugad are our engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. <laughs>